Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman. And this afternoon from California, we have Rex Paris, and this is his law firm, Paris Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today, Rex. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, now, obviously, we uh, we, we know each other from many of these events, and you, you've used our service. So um, just to kick off, just for fun, latte with a lawyer, What? how do you get started in the morning? What's your morning beverage of choice? I get up at 4 o'clock. I put the coffee on. Uh, and then I, I study for an hour and, uh, then I work out. Excellent. Just plain old, uh, coffee from the, from the grocery store, I suppose. Well, actually, you know, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is probably the best coffee out there. Other, it's a toss up between that and, uh, it, what is it? Illy coffee, uh, I L E L L E Y or whatever it okay. is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, that's interesting. I'm a New Englander. I'm from Boston, and that's where Dunkin' Donuts was born. So you don't hear too many people from the West Coast that like Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. I, you know, I actually heard about it on the Today Show, those two coffees. And so, you know, they uh, I just stuck with them. Okay. Uh, by the way, there's something about the hour that begins with four that high achievers get up in the morning. My dad used to get up at 445 every morning. And uh, when I when I ask people that question, it always begins with the four. So there must be something to that. You know, I, I fell into it in, in when I was studying for the bar. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I did. And uh, and then, it, you know, I got up at normal times if I got up at all, because I, I, for a period of time I was drinking excessively. <laughs> but once once I quit drinking, I went back to that. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get a lot done and it, it makes a lot of sense cognitively because you, you know, you're, you're fresh, nobody's bothering you, you know, and that's where I study trial skills and, and whatever else is interesting to me. Uh, and, uh, then, you know, that's the time I can really focus as the day wears on my, my bandwidth becomes less and less effective. And usually by two or three o'clock, I, I try to avoid making any decisions unless, I, unless I've slept during the day, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. So if if a, if a uh, trial is going on later in the day, what do you do? How do you keep yourself focused? Well, I always, I always try my cases with a team, you know? I, I mean, there's always at least one or two other lawyers and a paralegal and, you know, I, you know I'm also a, the mayor of a city. And my personal assistant is always with me. So uh, we choreograph the day. You know, we also are very aware that, you know, we make about 35,000 decisions a day. You know, if you, anything that requires thought, you know, like putting the brakes on the car, you know? Right, yeah. And so when I'm in trial, we try to lower that to about 20,000. You know, like I don't drive. I I don't, uh, I don't, um, order my breakfast or or my lunch somebody else does that they take as many decisions away from me as they can you know uh and uh you know it's down to picking your clothes out the night before 
you know, you, you don't want to make that decision. You, you just want to preserve that bandwidth so that when you get in front of that jury, you can be totally focused. And we choreograph the witnesses and try to make it so that by 2.30, 3 o'clock, I'm done. You know, somebody else is doing it. And that's also for the decision maker, you know, either the jury or the judge, their bandwidth is also shot. Right. So, you know, that's when you put the stuff that doesn't really matter in, you know, at least that's what you try to do. Uh, one trial I, I had not too long ago, the I asked the judge, I said, you know, I'd like to be able to do this fresh in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I go, I'm 70 years old, and I, I just don't prefer, perform that well in the late afternoon. And so he agreed to it, but then they, of course, had all these motions, you know, <laughs> push it into the afternoon. But, you know, the, the adrenaline takes over. It wasn't a factor. Uh, I was more concerned about the jury being, being able to be receptive to it. Uh, and they were. I mean, you know, they, they gave us eight figures. So that's interesting. So there's a lot of science behind it. Do you, so you, you're you very um, strategic about that. Do other lawyers also know that? And do they employ the same kind of techniques? Well, it depends on if they've come to my presentations. You know, I don't hide it. Right. I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, we had a lot of, as I got into cognitive science and realized that we were developing something that the world had never seen before, should we share it? you know, or should we keep it to ourselves? But I, I enjoy teaching so much. And I also learn so much more when I go to those presentations from other people, right. you know? And I also, you know, I, I think there's enough for everybody. Uh, you know, I don't, the, the only regret I have in all of it is I think that the system is now becoming unsustainable. You know, the, I guess they're calling them nu nuclear verdicts. And uh, I, I expected that to happen because I, I really don't, I think that, you know, we get to pick the case. We're, you know, we know we're gonna win going in usually, you know, it, and once you know the science of how people make decisions and what people value and the metaphors they use in making those determinations, and you, and you, you use a lot of science in your word selection, you know, uh, I don't think the defense has a has a chance in hell, quite frankly. Mm. So when you say it's unsustainable, meaning the amount of awards are, are just getting too large. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my my last six verdicts, uh, I lost one, but not counting that. But my, that no one was surprised I lost that one. <laughs> I want to go back to that because I want to understand why you lost that and why no one was, you weren't surprised. Well, a lot of, you know, it was a tough case to begin with. Okay. And then I had a judge who wasn't going to let me win. <laughs> okay. The, uh, uh, but anyway, the, the last six were all eight and nine figures. You know? uh, well, what, and there's nothing magical about what we do, you know, or what I do. It's, uh, it's just science. And as more and more people understand the science, those verdicts, they will be getting those verdicts also. And so eventually, you know, the system of insurance collapses or they make laws that, you know, uh, none of us want to see. Or, right, you, you minimize the uh, the suits, right? Or the uh, the case. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Or you um, end up in a situation like Texas has, where the Court of Appeals just always takes it away from you. <laughs> or cap, I suppose, cap the uh, yeah. verse as well. And, you know, I don't know that that would be uh, so objectionable if the caps were reasonable. You know, I mean, there should be like a $25 million cap, not not a $25,000 cap. Right. You know? uh, because I really, I don't think that we're we're tricking anybody into those verdicts. I think that when <clears throat> when you present to them the real losses that occur from a from a chronic injury, it's worth that much, right? You know? I mean, and that's what really what we focus on is what has been taken away from them, you know. And it it if if you have a a, a condition where you're say on a five on the pain scale, you know, you've lost function. You're, you've become isolated. You've lost your friends. You, you're unable to think about much of anything other than your own pain. You know, pretty soon your own wife can't stand you. you know, I mean, that's the reality of it. Right. Uh, and then when you when you look at all of the physical ramifications of it down the road, just by being out of balance like that, you know, it's you know, you know, an example is is you get in a whiplash case, you lose lordosis in your neck, which is the curve. Well, what that means is your head, which normally is supported on your, you know, your spinal column and weighs 10 pounds, is now very soon equivalent to a 50 pound weight because of the angle changing. Right. And next thing you know, you're in a walker. The reason you're in a walker is not because you can't walk, but because you can't walk without falling because you're out of balance, you know. Uh, and it's it's knowing all of those ramifications and then having the experts that can simplify it and explain it in a way that the jury can understand. Uh, you know, cases are huge. Why is it? I mean, why is it? I mean, it's very uneven across the country, right? You know, what, what gets awarded in California is very different than, um, I don't know, Kansas. Why, why is it so uneven? And sh what, what are your thoughts on that? Well... I, I actually think that in New York and California, we're, we're probably the most innovative group. You know, we're presenting it in a different way. When I talked to, I, I just talked to a group from Kansas and, uh, you know, it just hasn't filtered over to them yet as to what's important, you know, the, uh, but, you know, we've done a lot of, lot of research to, on it too. Like we hire people to do the research the uh, one time, you know, I got interested in cognitive metaphors and uh, horizontal segmentation. And so I, I sent, uh, uh, it was Howard Moskowitz out of White Plains. I sent him an email saying, could we do this with juries, right? Six months later, he gets back to me and he says, yeah, we can. I did a study. And the basis of their study is they took a mock, you know, trial situation and they wanted to see if they could push the jury towards the death penalty. What were the things that would do that? You know, it turns out that there's a, a big difference in age groups. You know, like my age group, if you if the victim was raped or mutilated or tortured, you know, I'm much more likely to pull the switch. Mm. Uh, your demographic, however, it's what is the impact on the family? You know, did the kids have to change schools? Did they have to go on welfare? What was the impact of the death on the family? Made a huge difference. And they were much more, and if you emphasize that, much more likely to, to pull the switch. 
so I took that and you just applied it to personal injury work, you know, uh, and verdicts started rising immediately. So you think if, if someone, in, if a lawyer or a plaintiff lawyer like yourself in Kansas used the same techniques, the same science, the same language, they could end up with the same results? Well, I, you know, I haven't tested it to know, but I certainly think so mm. because, you know, like, like I'm from Lancaster, uh, the juries here are very conservative. Okay. You know? And, but I'd much rather try, of course, you know, that that's, that's a, it's an unfair uh, example because I'm also the mayor of the city. Right. <laughs> it makes a difference, but even that difference though, we understand it based on the cognitive science of it. You know, the, uh, that's what celebrity is, you know, 98% of the people know who I am. The last poll we did. Uh, well, you know, when we were on the Savannahs, the chief, which would be the tribe celebrity, right, decided whether you lived or died because he controlled all the resources. So we have this limpic brain reaction to celebrity. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, do people really care what the Kardashians think? Right. <laughs> Apparently they really do, right. you know. And they make billions of dollars as a result. Uh, that same that same concept applies with juries. It you know it really pisses the defense off when the when the uh, jurors after the trial are posing for pictures with me. <laughs> <laughs> so that I mean, do you think that gives you an unfair advantage? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know. I would if I would call it unfair the, or an advantage. Let's not put a qualifier. Uh, an advantage. The, lawyers are supposed to be involved in their community they're supposed to be politically active they're supposed to uh, uh have a certain stature in the community you know if if the opposition doesn't bother to do that they don't bother to do that you know there's nothing i can do about that right uh it uh you know it, it's not a coincidence that most of our founding fathers were lawyers you know uh now we've gotten away from that but you know when they they write their motions to change venue my response is always the same you know that that antithetical to what lawyers are supposed to be you know and you know <laughs> presumably boy dyer will will remove those jurors that are too connected right but, interesting yeah um so i mean let's just go back a little i I've read a little bit about your background, but I mean, how did you get started? I mean, look like you probably had a challenging um, childhood, right? And how did you? I'm trying <laughs> that's, to be that's not the, that's, nice about. That's I, listen, the best euphemism for it I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I didn't come from a great bad. Listen, I have a theory anyway in life, and you probably agree with me. I mean, the people that sort of struggle. I mean, no pain, no gain. I mean, you have to have some struggles, right, to achieve great things. I think. I think it's a driving well, force. I I was I had some some monsters in my my past. That's the, the only way I could describe it. Okay. They should they should have been in prison, but you know, it was a different time. Uh and most people that endure that don't do well. But just like I had monsters in my background, I also had some very loving people 
that you know were there when I needed them and picked me up when I needed to be picked up and were patient with me and uh, you know I, I was truly blessed for that and as a result you know those those experiences have made me somewhat different and you know when I when I'm being totally candid with the people I love and we talk about you know what a bitch childhood was they I I tell them I I wouldn't change anything you know uh, as miserable as it was if it meant that I couldn't be who I am today yeah. I mean I really like who I am I really like what I'm doing I, I love what my children are doing what my wife is doing it, it you know it couldn't be better and right. it it, it, it's going to make for a really good ending, you know, because I'm, I mean, I'm involved in so many things, you know, I'm involved in alternative energy and I'm involved in aging research and involved in the law firm in the city. It's a, it's a fascinating life now, but, you know, it was touch and go as to whether or not I would ever get here. You know? <laughs> so, how, I mean, so how did, how did you become a lawyer though? Tell me how you made that. Like, how did you get there? Like, how did you, well, you know, I dropped out of I dropped out of high school when I was sixteen. Okay. And uh, you know, back then you could get away with that. I mean, they they just didn't want to deal with me. <laughs> so they just acted like I, you know, that I disappeared, and so I was able to do that. Uh, but fortunately, I read all the time. You know, I'm still an avid reader. And uh, but then I, you know, I got into some juvenile problems or I guess I was 18 when it actually came to fruition and I was going to go to jail you know they, they had sentenced me actually to 30 days in jail I mean it was nothing major but when you're 18 and you're going to go to jail for 30 days it's terrifying <laughs> I, I've never been that frightened it's mind-numbing terror when you're standing in front of that judge and he's sentencing you they uh and I decided then you know, that somehow I was never going to be in that position again, that I was going to be on this side of the bar, not the other side, you know, because the lawyers had the power. Right. And and that's what, you know, it was a matter of survival. You know, I mean, we, we've been we've been blessed with a, a substantial income. And but what that really means to me is safety. You know, the the more we accumulated, the safer the family is, and so I have a different approach to it. You know, I, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I I don't anticipate spending anywhere near. You know, my, my, the uh, but a lot of that was luck, and a lot of that, you know, I I think differently than most people. You know, I had had a brain injury in law school and I lost a little piece of my brain. Well, maybe a little bigger piece. Yeah, I was really I was really smart before that happened. But, yeah. The uh so as a result I have different neural patterns, you know, and I also have a lack of of respect for risk. You know, I take huge risks. Okay. I, when you do that, you know, a lot of them don't pan out, but it, you know, you only need one out of 10 to pan out. Right. And it's, it's risk and reward for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, well, I, I believe in that's uh, the reason I became the lawyer. Okay. Interesting. Well, to me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a 
I'm an engineer by training. I believe in uh, Newton's third law of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when you know something happens, I mean, I, I think many times you go, people go the opposite direction. I mean, I suppose you could fall victim to bad circumstances, but I've seen so many cases where been really horrible circumstances and people not only survive it, but they go on to do great things. I see that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in, in my position as a lawyer and as the mayor, it, it's, it's a, those are few. Those are few. Yeah, I wonder what it is statistically, actually. You think, so overwhelmingly, most don't overcome that. Well, I think stress at an early age is, is extremely damaging, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that the major saving grace to me is, is I read all the time. I hid in the books, mm. I hid in novels. Uh, the uh, and so when I finally started to turn things around, you know, I can I can sit and read and study longer than anybody. You know, I I, I don't have a lot of innate skills, but I got an iron ass. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of what's your favorite? Is there a favorite author or a favorite influencer that you like? Well. You know, I'd have to say Robert Sapolsky out of Stanford. He's a primate neurobiologist. Uh, you know, his work is just superb. Uh, the uh, I also like Simon Sinek. He he brings a whole new approach to things. You know, yeah, you can, can see, go on and you can on. see the book back there. I think. Yeah. Oh, do you have that? Yeah. Okay. Which one do you have? Why? Why? Start with why. Right. He also did another one called Leaders Eat Last. Uh, that I have really taken to heart, you know, um, it, you know, damn, if I only knew what I knew now, 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, maybe, I mean, I, I see that your term is coming up. Maybe you go back and get a PhD in, you know, neuropsychology or something. (laughs) I wish I could. Although I did, I did write, uh, Sapolsky once. And uh, I said, could you give me a list, a reading list that if I read them all and learned them, that I would be the equivalent of a cognitive scientist? You know, I'm really not interested in the degree, but I am interested in the knowledge. Right. And he gave me about 20 books to read. And I read most of them, you know, Uh, you know, but I have a real interest in it for lots of reasons. You know, I had that brain injury. So trying to figure out what that meant you know, really got me into it. And then, uh, you know, that that exposed me to just more and more science. And so then we started, we started funding, you know, uh, we were the angel investors for Carthronics, which will soon be on the market with a drug that literally cures arthritis. Hmm. Unbelievable. Another drug that it appears will, will, stop the progression of of, uh, of uh, pulmonary fibrosis and other fibrotic diseases. When we consider that fibrosis is the cause of 45% of death, you know, I mean, I'm excited that I could be involved in that and, you know, oh, yeah. involved in that every day now and, and uh, you know, just pushing the science. And, uh, you know, I don't think I would have been able to do all of that, any of that, if I hadn't had the interest that came from 
challenging circumstances. Right. That's what I mean. So do you see yourself at some point sort of stepping out of the day to day and being, you know, pursuing some of these other interests? Yeah. Yeah. I would, you know, what I do now is I'm just here to consult with, you know, all the lawyers come in and they bring me their stuff. And, and then when there's a trial coming up, that looks like it has a lot of merit to it or mm. is something that really interests me, you know, then I'll jump into that. And I take specific parts of it, you know, like I'll pick the jury, I'll, I'll do the close and I'll do some major witnesses, you know, that when the jury needs to be entertained, I'm able to, you know, I'm able to do that. Um, and so it's, it's not as nearly as onerous as it used to be. Okay. Um, and, and why, why'd you, I mean, you became a mayor and you, you've had a few terms here. Why, why'd you, uh, take that on? What was the interest there? Well, you know, whenever, whenever you ask that question of somebody, yeah, you know, they don't know. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was 12 years ago. <laughs> I can tell you what I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the the motivating influences was, you know, I don't get, to, I wasn't getting to trial that much, and I'm learning all of these skills. You know, just how I use my hands, how I use my voice, you know, how I stand. You know, all of them are discrete skills and on a very granular level. You now, where when do I get to practice those? You know, well, that skill set is what I use in my role as the mayor. You know? I see. Uh, it, it's persuading people. And, you know, and I had to stop myself because what I would do is I didn't realize I was doing it until my wife pointed it out. You know, I would I would stir up a hornet's nest just so I could go in and calm the waters. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It, it, but it really is that powerful, you know, I, I mean, I, I uh, and especially during the last 12 years, because race has been such a big issue, right? You know? and people get really angry about that, and it's very easy for miscommunication to occur, you know, and uh, I remember one time I, I met with, it was about 35 uh, African-American leaders in the community, pastors and all that, and they were mad as hell at me, you know, and, and the reason they were mad is I, I put a bounty on the Crips and the Bloods, you know, and where I made the mistake is I wanted to do it with just the Bloods because they were the ones that were the, really hurting people, and uh, and what I meant by that was you give us any information that results in an arrest, there's a thousand bucks, you know, I just wanted them to move out of the community, the city manager said, well, you know, you can't just do it with them. You got to do it with, so we threw in the Crips. Well, then, you know, the perception of that was racial. Right. And I didn't really think that far enough ahead. And I'll, I never forget that that meeting because they were so hostile when I walked in. And we were bonded when I left. <laughs> and it, but, you know, you got to, I want to be sincere about this is, it works both ways. You cannot do that bi uh, unilaterally. It's a bilateral process. Sure. You know? uh, and uh, and the one guy who was the, the angriest, 450 pounds, stands up, shaking his finger at me, you know, and he actually had something smart to say. I mean, it, it was it made it took me aback. It, 
he was saying, you know, other people hear you say that stuff and we're going to end up with a Trevon Martin, you know, some neighborhood watch cracker is going to take somebody out. That made sense to me. So I, I made him a deputy mayor and I dropped the bounty. You know? <laughs> we, yeah. He's now, he's now got elected to the council and we, we laugh about it all the time. You know, I mean, imagine 450 pounds six foot four standing over you, you know? yeah, that'd be a little frightening yeah but but i had the skill set you know and it was pastor why are you why are you pointing your finger at me i'm not doing that to you and you know you bring people into their their uh cortex and things will start to but you have to pick something that they're not going to defend yeah there is no defense to sticking your finger in somebody's face. You know? Well, I, listen, I always say, you know, uh, you can't fight fire with fire. When somebody gets really mad at you, my defense always has been to talk very quietly and yeah. it totally diffuses. Right. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Otherwise you get into a tit for tat situation. And that escalates out of control. You know, just knowing when to be in eye contact with somebody is in incredibly valuable. Like, I am never in eye contact with the judge when I'm arguing with him, you know. In fact, I kind of tilt my head, show him my throat, and then I'll I'll talk about what the jury's going to perceive or the, what the witness is going to, you know. I, I take it away from me, right? You know? And it, it it depending on what I want to accomplish. Sometimes I just want to have fun and tell him he's an asshole without getting in trouble. <laughs> but <laughs> but usually I'm trying to persuade him. You know, yeah. and that's, that's a great way to do it but if you just remember every time you're in eye contact you're in relationship right. so if you're going to yell at your kids don't be looking in their eyes you know take it to a third place take it to the report card on the table that this is this is sick or whatever you know right right but not an eye contact because when you're in eye contact you're doing harm right you know, Interesting. Just, yeah but you see what i mean by the granularity of it of all the things you have to learn and then practice if you don't practice it's you know it's not going to benefit anybody so th these are all learned skills i mean I, I i've seen you in action in some of these you know trial or university i'm not a lawyer so it's fascinating to me you know all the things that i listen to it's very interesting i mean a lot of these things are transferable anyway just being a human being but uh, i mean these are all skills you think you can pick up if you pay attention and practice i think you got to study them and then I think you have to practice them and you got to figure out what works for you. You know, if you wait till you get in the courtroom to use them, you're going to get killed. You know, yeah. the, the hand gesture took me six months to be able to use that gesture without you seeing it. You know, uh, it eye contact. There's a book on eye contact. You have several books, actually. Mm. And you have to practice it so you don't look like a creep. But you gotta you gotta be a creep in order to figure out how not to be. You know? right. Yeah. <laughs> now the great thing about you know being the mayor of a city is people want me to make eye contact with them. <laughs> so it's a little easier to practice. I just I had a uh, I had a call with a, a neighboring law firm. I said, "Are you close to Lancaster?" Because you know we were going to have this call. Um, it was Cone Clark. Do you know the law firm? They're they're close by. They're they're in um, um 
Grapes of Wrath. Uh, Santa Clarita, San Fernando Valley. <laughs> We're in the north end of LA County. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it. I don't know why. Uh, Bakersfield, Bakersfield. Bakersfield, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's where I lost the case. That's, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so those are more conservative parts of California. Yeah, but I don't, you know, personally, I would rather have a conservative jury. You know, uh, at least, but it's the way I try the case. You know, I'm I'm not interested in in making them cry or making them angry or you know I'm not interested in in manipulating their emotions uh, because I don't think that's successful mm. and, and I really don't want empathetic people on the jury. I want detached people because when I'm asking them for 140 million dollars, you know. It can't, you, you have to be able to hook it to something. You know, like I love engineers on jurors, juries because I'm able to do it with the rules. The rules are the jury instructions and, and, and we put everything we're asking for in the instruction. And then we have a matrix that, you know, how long they're gonna have to bear this and what is gonna happen in the future. And, you know, an engineer, he adds up the numbers. Right. He's not gonna be sympathetic to the defendant or sympathetic to the plaintiff. I think but, sympathy goes a long ways for the defendant more than it does the plaintiff. But don't you, people but don't you the death penalty, you know? <laughs> yeah. But don't you believe that people make decisions based on emotions and not pure facts? Well, yes, but that can lead you astray easily. You know, it is the emotional uh, component of it that motivates us. Right. But that doesn't mean it's a sympathetic emotion, you know. And what are emotions anyway? But a mixture of chemicals in your brain, you know. Uh, I'm I'm much more aware of what chemicals am I causing, you know, to to be discharged, uh, and when, you know, the facial expression research we've done is, you know, you better not wait till the end to tell them how much. Because the, the facial expression emotion we see is fear and then anger. And it, why, why would you see that? Because they're thinking that could happen to me. Right. You know, they, they, they're empathetic to the defendant. But if I tell them up front, you know, and let them laugh. And, and actually, we have a way of doing it. We, uh, whoever I'm trying the case with, and uh, we'll do the mini opening. And then I do the, the jury selection. And so I'm not defending it, something I said. I'm asking them about something somebody else said. And then, you know, again, it's the, the word selection that you use in order to get challenges for cause. Uh, you know, the last trial my son did, he got 57 challenges for cause granted, which is unheard of. I mean, simply unheard of. You rarely see that in a death penalty case, you know, uh, but it's in your word selection. It's how you phrase it and how they phrase it. You know? And, you know, we're very cognizant of the fact that whatever emotion I have, they're going to mirror, you know, if I'm the one on center stage. Uh, and so we're very careful of what emotions I show them. You know? Now, you know, Sapolsky taught me this and it's like, People don't like to be angry. If they see me angry, 
they will be angry. That's what mirror cells do. Right. You know, not as much and maybe not overtly, but they feel uncomfortable. And so they turn away from you. They turn to the other side. Same thing, I, you know, when I first started out doing trials, it was not uncommon for me to have jurors crying in the opening. Now, the reason for that, it took me a long time to realize it, is when I had that brain injury, I emote much quicker. I don't have the I have emotional abilities. I don't I can't turn them off as quick as you can, you know. And uh, so I would get teary eyed. They would get teary eyed. I would think, oh, well, well they're going to kill them and I would lose. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just knowing that, you know, understanding mirror cells is it's you know, extremely important to what we do and then how to utilize it. You know, like I don't I don't have a lot of issues with rules about uh, the, like the golden rule. You know, you can't put the jury in, in the shoes of the plaintiff. Right. So I would never do that. But I wouldn't hesitate to say when I imagine you know, <laughs> as soon as I say that you're there, you know, I don't have to say what would you you know, if this was you, what would happen? You're already imagining it was you. Knowing those those skills at, at that granular level really makes you unstoppable if if the facts are there to work with. You know. Very good. Um, well, listen, we could we could we could uh, keep going here for quite some time, but in in the uh, in the uh, spirit of giving you a little giving you your time back, we'll we'll bring it to a close. Is there anything you want to leave like final words, just about you or the or the firm or just in closing well, you know i i think i'm incredibly proud of this firm i'm incredibly proud of the people in it they you know it we put an enormous amount of energy and, and resources into educating everybody in this building uh and it shows but what i'd really like to leave people with is i was the last person who should have been an, an accomplished trial lawyer and I can say now without reservation, and I think everybody will acknowledge it, that that's what I am now. And I got there by studying it, the very discrete elements of persuasion. The more granular, the better. And I do it every single day. And at 71, I still have only one goal every day is to be a little bit better at persuading people than I was the day before. I don't, I don't measure myself against anybody else other than myself. And when I start feeling jealous, I send them a proclamation congratulating them on their great verdict because that is the most destructive thing to my progression Right, is to be jealous of somebody else. And it's, an, it's a human reaction and you got to deal with it and you got to, but you have to do something affirmatively, send them a plant, send them an email congratulating them. And as soon as you do that, it goes away. And you can get back to what you should be doing. If you want to be a great trial lawyer and you had the ability to get through law school, you have the ability to learn the skills to be a great trial lawyer. I don't care who you are, but you know, it means getting up at four in the morning, setting aside a couple hours every single day, knowing this stuff backwards and forwards. I mean, I, I don't, I can usually hold my own in a conversation with any cognitive scientist out there. You know, it, it, 
down to the cellular level. And I don't, I think I wasted a lot of time learning at it on cellular level, cellular level. But you can't just read repackaged stuff. Right. I think you can go in and do it. You know, that's what I would like to impart. Okay. Excellent. That's it. So I mean, you're you're a scholar on this, and you're bottoms up. You do a lot of hard work to develop the skill set. I think that's what I'm hearing from you. Like anything in life, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell said it takes ten thousand hours to perfect a skill, but it takes a lot of hard work, right? If you really want to be great at it. Yeah, it does. But, and I, you know, I, I have people in the office who don't want to devote that kind of energy and that's perfectly okay. But what I don't want them to do is feel like a fraud that, you know, they're saying they're trial lawyers when they're not, you know, because the first 10 years of my career, that's what I did. Right. And I, there was nothing about me that I liked, you know, uh, you can't live life a fraud and, and feel good about yourself. You take it home with you. It's there all the time. Once, you know, once the, it, it wasn't, once there, there was a legitimacy to it, my life got so much better. Yeah. Excellent. Well, good. Listen, it's a pleasure. I, I, I appreciate the time. Of course. The story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, no, very good. For everybody uh, that does I mean, who wouldn't want to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> you know what? It's the easiest thing to get somebody on a call with. If you give them a chance to talk about themselves, most people will accept it graciously. So right. for everybody out there, Rex Paris with Paris Law Firm in Lancaster, California. And this is sp uh, sponsored by Emotion Track, which, you know, is a legal tech platform that helps litigators prepare for mediation and trials. Thank you very much, Rex. Which, which I'm an I'm an absolute believer in, by the way. I mean, I think you guys got a product that can change the world. Uh, it's, you know, just getting it out there. You know? We're trying one day at a time. One day at a time. That's right. Thanks. We're we're working hard at it. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. You bet.